Right, praise the Lord. Um, before I get started this morning, I'm going to invite Jeremiah up here. I'm going to let him share uh, for a few minutes about tonight. And uh, brother, if you'd come on up here, how many appreciate brother Jeremiah and Amy and Leah? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, we're excited what the Lord is doing in our church. Uh, this morning during worship, I just felt such a powerful presence of God come over top of me. When I was up here at the front praying, uh, it's like I, I get down on my knees at times like this, and for some reason my foot on the right side was bothering me. And I had to raise my, my knee up, and a vision went through my mind of Gideon and of the soldiers that were that were kneeling down beside the creek, and the Lord was thinning down the army. And he said, I just felt my spirit. I'm saying, Jeremiah, I'm changing the posture of my church. That there's, that there's individuals that's under the sound of your voice this morning, that's in this ministry, that's been under the leadership of Chad Ricketts and Wellspring Ministry even before him, uh, of a vision that's been birthed for the community to be healed, that there is people, that there is those that's been on both knees, that's been in a place of worship, that's been seeking the Lord, that it's time to rise one knee up to take the stance for battle. There's those that's in that place, of stance of battle, that's waiting to raise the other knee up to be able to stand to take the field. And I believe that there's ministers being raised up in this community right now, in this very church, that's going to be staff holders in these last days that have the anointing of God upon their life in order to speak the word of life, which is Jesus, to the broken, to the lost. And I'm believing that starting tonight, that there's a church family as we come together for worship and we just seek the deep truths of God, that a healing comes upon our families. Oh, I, I have this vision in my mind of the walls of Jericho, and I just, I just feel in, in my heart that there is, that there's people that have, that have been struggling so long with, with issues that maybe others don't even know about of depression, of, uh, of setbacks, of past failures, of abandonment issues, of addiction issues, of anger issues, uh, that the Lord is about to circle His church around those walls. And just like in chapter 6 of Joshua, there come a day when they on the seventh day that the children of God circled that fortified city. And see, a stronghold is a fortified city with inside of our mind that the walls have to come down. But there was a specific way that God orchestrated His power in that Scripture. And there was a time when they circled that seventh day. They walked around that city seven times. The priest went before blowing the trumpet. But Something different happened. Things changed in a moment of time when Joshua told him to raise up your voice to the Lord. For the Lord has given you this city. And I believe that there's those that have been circling strongholds in your life. For so many years, trumpets have been blowed all around you. And now is a time in the season to learn the voice of the Lord. To be able to speak the word of life to those walls. And the Lord will bring those walls down. And when He brings those walls down, He brings a free Freedom to our heart and to our spirit, not to be consumed upon ourselves, but just like with Jericho, there was something inside of that city 
when he brought that freedom that the Lord demanded be given to him. And that's a representation of our lives. Every place of freedom that the Lord brings us to, there is a requirement in that place of freedom that we submit our lives to the presence and the will of God. It's in that place that we remain free. It's in that place that we experience God's best. And I'm just praying that the Lord just moves upon us in a powerful way, church, that we're able to receive not only ourselves, but those that's broken in the community as they come in to be the voice of the Lord in these last days. And I'm just thankful for the opportunity that you've given me to be able to come and to be able to love on you and to be loved by you. So we're praying and we're expecting God to do great things here. Oh, come out and just be part of what God's doing and just let Him take the rest. Charles Stanley said that we just be obedient to God and we give the consequences to Him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, We'll be starting that recovery ministry tonight at 5.30. And um, um, one thing I would challenge you to do is uh, you can say to yourself, man, I don't know if I know anybody that needs recovery. And I want to challenge you this morning. It's not, um, if God is going to minister healing to the community through us, how many know that we need to have healing? And so tonight when you say, who is it for? It's for all of us. And so some of the things I would just bring to your attention is, um, and he brought several of those things, but um, how many know that forgiveness is a big thing? Like we can spend a lot of years uh, not learning to forgive, and you say, well, man, I've forgiven everybody, and some of us haven't even forgiven ourselves. You know, we still live in guilt, we still live in fear, we still live in condemnation, and so we're going to be ministering to that, you know, we're going to be ministering to bitterness. How many know that people in the church can carry bitterness with them for a really long time? How many know that people can carry malice? You say, well, man, I don't know what that is. That's a, um, a meanness where it kind of shows itself to other people sometimes in the body. And so God wants to heal that. You say, well, man, you're going to try to embarrass me. No, we all want uh, healing together. And, 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 and the Bible says that that kind of healing starts in the house of the Lord. And so I'm excited. And, and uh, that should be something that should excite you. It's something that we're going to lovingly minister to one another. And you just got to say to yourself, it's time now. You know, um, I like that analogy of the trumpets. You know, they would say, hey, blow the trumpets. And when the trumpets sound, that's the time. And so God's saying, hey, now's the time. Now's time to finally uh, lay down uh, the alcohol. It's time. It's time to lay down the weed. You know, it's time to lay down the bitterness. It's time to lay down the anger. And you say, well, Chad, you're making me nervous. You're getting closer to us. <laughs> Church, we're a family. We're here to help each other through really difficult things in life. We're here as a support to one another. How many know that? And so we got to break those walls of religion. we got to lay it all down and, and just let God begin to minister and begin to let the love of God just flow through this body. So tonight I would encourage you to be a part of it. We're going to, do, we're going to go together through that healing, and then we're going to be in a position to be able to minister that to people in the community that are, are really hurting for it. I mean, no, God's going to raise you up to be a minister. 
That's what it's all about. You say, well, I came to watch you be a minister. That's not what the Bible uh, says. The Bible says he's raising us up to be ministers of reconciliation to, to set people at, at, at right with God. How many want to be that? Hallelujah. And so I would encourage you to come out tonight at 530. If you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And uh, my daughter, Johanna, uh, for many years, she's always had a gift to pray, seek the Lord, and write me notes of encouragement and different people notes of encouragement from the Lord. And and uh, so she does it every day when I went to work. She always had something that she felt led of God to put in my lunchbox every day. Index cards, front and back, scriptures, promises. And it's just her ministry. And she does it like I preach. She won't write something down until God has told her to put it on that paper. And so I asked her yesterday, what should I preach tomorrow? And she handed me the scripture with um, uh, a whole thing on this scripture. And um, so I felt like the Lord was leading me in this area yesterday. It says, for we live or walk by faith, not by sight. We live or walk by faith, not by sight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, Lord, and we're so thankful um, that your spirit's in this house, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray that everybody here would feel uh, your love, Lord, in this place. Nothing but your love, Lord. That, uh, Lord, they'd be wrapped up in it and they would realize that there is a God that cares about them this morning. And uh, he is an ever-present help in our times of trouble, Lord. Um, that you are a friend uh, to sinners, Lord. And that you are reaching out this morning to help us in everything that we are going through in our life, Lord. And I just pray that you minister to hearts through this message, Lord. Take me out of the way, Lord, and let it be your words from your throne, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, um, as we go in this scripture here, Paul is saying something that we probably heard before. And because of the fact that we've heard it before, it may not be nearly as profound. So we've got to act like we've never heard it before. All right? And so we've got to pretend like this is a new phrase for us. Because we want to understand it and we want God to speak to us this morning. But think about this. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So how do we walk? We don't walk by our sight. That alone ought to be a shocker. How many have ever tried to walk without your sight? I'll share a little story here. It's kind of embarrassing. Some of you know it. But when I was in the fifth grade, they had handicap day. And it was a day for everybody to um, um, learn to appreciate disabilities. How many think that's a really good thing? I ruined it. They don't have it anymore because of me. So they decided that some people would be blind for the day and would have a guide. Some people would be in a wheelchair for the day. Some people would be in crutches just to appreciate how difficult it is to make it through your day. And they decided I was the blind man. And so I had a blindfold on and I had to have a guide all day, which was a friend of mine. But... I did pretty good for a little while. Then they said, you're in the gym. He led me into the gym. And of course, when I went into the gym, 
first thing I did is run for the basketballs. There was a closet that had all the basketballs, and we'd play basketball, and you want to get a good basketball, so you run to that closet. So I took off running, blindfolded. And you can imagine that I'm just not very good at being blind. My dad will remember this. So as I'm running, I could hear my guide way off in the distance, who's supposed to be next to me, said, watch out for the wall. And I was like, what? And when I yelled, what? My mouth was open, I hit it full speed, and shattered all my teeth in the front. And so I had nerves exposed, I could feel my teeth spray in my mouth, and... And uh, so I ruined Handicap Day. They never had it again after that in my school. So you can thank me for that. All right. But how many know sight is a real critical component to learning how to walk? And so if you don't have sight, there's other ways to compensate for that. But that might be the number one thing when walking is to have sight. Or else you need a dog or you need a guide or you need some kind of stick to show you where you're going. Or So sight is a really important component. So what in the world is Paul talking about when he says, don't use your sight, walk in a different way. And we need to figure this out because it's really important. And so as we go into this and we try to learn how to walk by faith and not by sight, um, We need to examine first, what is the context of what Paul is writing here? And so Paul is in 2 Corinthians. And when you think about 2 Corinthians, uh, most commentators will talk about early in this letter, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. This is his second letter. And he says, uh, I wrote a letter to you in tears. And this is a very tense time for Paul in the church at Corinth. And they have what's called the terrible letter or the severe letter or the letter that was really hard for Paul. Because in tears he had to correct them and send them a really hard letter. And he even avoided, he went to Macedonia and avoided seeing them because the letter was so tense. And they don't know if it's part of Second Corinthians or a letter that was lost, but it was called the severe letter. And so Paul is a very tense time. He's corrected their behavior. He's trying to teach them how to walk correctly in this world. And the problem is, not only is the relationship a little bit tense, but Paul also has been through a lot. In fact, if you go through chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, um, he actually says... For we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He says, we, this is the apostles, are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're um, perplexed, but we are not in despair. We're persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. So Paul is uh, telling you that he's been through a lot. Well, the problem is the opponents of Paul used Paul's struggles in life to say that he was not legitimate. So Paul's trying to explain to them that not only is it legitimate, but it's expected to have struggles in life when you're walking the life of faith. And so Paul is trying to stress to them, here's how you walk the life of faith. You don't do it by sight. You don't look at all the mountains that are in front of you. You don't look at all the obstacles. You don't look at all the struggles. There's a different way to walk. And if you'll hear what I'm saying, you'll get past all of your struggles. 
But if you don't realize that there is a path of obstacles and you think it's going to be smooth, you might be, de- you might be deceived. And so Paul's very realistic. He's saying, Hey, I've been through a lot. You know, I've been through all this. He says, I'm not perplexed. I'm not abandoned. I'm not forsaken. He said, there's nothing abnormal about the hard things that I've been through, but you don't walk your walk of faith by what you see. And church, we got to get that down this morning. You don't walk the walk of faith by sight. There's a different way to do it. And so Paul is uh, stressing to them because of his opponents who are saying that something's wrong with Paul because he's been through so much. And guess what the enemy is going to tell you, your opponent? Something's wrong with you because it's so hard. How many have ever felt the enemy say that? It's so hard, something's wrong with you. Can I tell you this morning, there's nothing wrong with you. Those mountains right there are opportunities for God to show his strength. And you say, but can a mountain really move? Because Chad, I stood in front of mountains and God said, if you believe it, it'll move. And you say, it didn't move. So, man, I don't know if I can believe in God. But we're going to address that today. Mountains are going to be in front of you and God is going to teach you how to walk. And the walk of faith, not the walk of sight. And so the first thing... I want to understand is, how do I walk? Uh, all of us here, at some point, were taught to walk, right? My dad's here this morning. He remembers me learning how to walk. You know, I didn't just come out running around like I am now, right? How many know we all had a time we learned? And when they interpreted this scripture, I say it could be interpreted, um, um, it could actually, they really struggled with this, for we walk by faith, not by sight, or for we live by faith. It could be either one, but because Paul's using the analogy of not by sight, they could have gone either way with that word, so they use the word walk, because they're keeping with the analogy of not by sight. And so we really lean heavily on this example of learning how to walk to learn how to walk in faith. So when you learn how to, when you teach a child, and I've had six children, um, my my wife and I, and each one, when you learn how to walk, there's certain things you do to teach them. And I think God does the same thing. When you teach your child how to walk, how many know it's very important vision? So you will normally set yourself in a place where there's about two steps in between, right? It's like, one, they may not actually be walking. They may have actually just be falling over, right? Two, now that's kind of walking, you know? It's like everybody is eager to make sure their baby walks faster than the other babies. So you can go back and say, hey, they took two steps. Well, they may still have just been falling really fast, you know? But how many know it's important where you position yourself in order to get them to walk the steps, And so, please hear me this morning. It's important where your vision is positioned in order to learn how to walk by faith. Very important that we understand our vision placement is very important. And so he says here, let's look at the context of this walk by faith, not by sight. 
We go to verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to this. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent that we live in... Now, what is the earthly tent that we live in? This is tent maker language. How many know Paul's living was making tents? So he says there is a tent that we live in. What's the tent we live in? This body. How many know that the body is not the same thing as the soul? We have a tent that we live in, and it's very important that we understand this because we might think that that's all there is is this body. But he's saying, no, there's something eternal inside of the tent. And so the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that when God created man, male and female, it says that he fashioned them out of the earth, right? Stop. Don't read the next verse. What did he fashion out of the earth? The tent, the body. And, and the Bible clearly says that when we, we, from the dust we came and then what? Back to the dust we will go. But it says when he fashioned the body from the dust of the earth, he breathed life into the body. That means that there was a, an eternal soul that was breathed into the tent that is called the body. And so the Bible says whenever the body goes back to the earth, if we're right with the Lord, we'll be present with the Lord immediately. Absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. And the Bible also says that we were breathed into the body an eternal soul, which means that we will all live for eternity in one house or the other. One that's created for destruction or one that is in the presence of the Lord. Right? And so the reality, according to the Bible, is that life is actually defined differently than the world defines it. And if we don't understand this, then our vision is out of whack. Because most of us have been taught by the world and not by the Word. And so the world says, you're born. God is the only one that's eternal. How many know God breathed that soul into that body when you were born? And then we became an eternal soul into a body, a tent that is temporary, right? And so we define it as birth, we live our life, and then there's the end, which is death, right? But the Bible says that when we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord if we're a believer. So how many seconds after death... Is this living soul present with the Lord? Instantly. And so why do we stop and say the end is at death when we know that the body goes into the ground but the soul goes in the presence of the Lord? So we could add that extra millisecond, right? Instead of saying it's the end when we die, we can say that within a few moments... That means how many, how, how close are we to being in the presence of the Lord if we're believers? And how close are we to being in an eternal destruction if we're an unbeliever? You know, I'm 50 years old. I might have one day left. You know, if I died today, it wouldn't be a shock to anybody, would it? It'd be a little bit of a shock, but it would be like, you know what? That's, he lived a long, he lived a long time. 
You know, 10 years from now, it still wouldn't be terribly. People die 50, 60, I'm 51, going to be 52 soon. I think I got to do the math sometimes. I think I am. But how many know we'll die and it'll be shocking, but it's not that shocking. I might live 20 years. I might live 30 years. I might live 40 years. But that's how close I am to this phase of life of being in the presence of the Lord. I might be that close to being with him. And so let's go on back with Paul's thought here. For we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, that we have a building from God. If the tent is my body, what is he saying? He's saying that when the tent is taken down, I'm going to be given another building from God. That means he's going to give me a new body, right? An eternal house in heaven not built with human hands. Meanwhile, meanwhile, I like that. Meanwhile, it means like right now, here's where we're at. That's what's coming very soon, I'm excited about. He says, meanwhile, we groan. You know, I'm old enough now that how many groan? You know, your joints hurt. You know, it gets a little colder. You got more joints hurt. How many groan? I groan. All right. I didn't even know I groan, but I notice now that I groan. It says, meanwhile, we groan. Right? Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. How many of you know we'll groan and we'll be burdened? But the better thing is coming when I'm with the Lord, right? He says, we groan and we are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What is the thing to come? For me to die and take on my new heavenly body, right? Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. So now let's think about that. Let's put this in perspective. If my vision is on my dying and I don't go to that next one millisecond, you understand what I'm saying? How am I ever going to walk by faith? Because if all I'm thinking about is dying, here's how my mind thinks. We start thinking about all the regrets. Man, I wish I'd done this when I was young. I wish I had this when I was young. I wish I had this now. I wish I had what everybody else has. It's not fair. Everybody has this. Everybody has that. You know, I wish I had this kind of retirement. They have that kind of retirement. Wish I had this kind of job. Wish I had this kind of life. How many know that all we think about is the burdens of life? All we do is groan and that's all we think about because all of our vision is totally focused on the end. But what if we bump that up one millisecond and all of our vision was on that one millisecond after? When I'm in the presence of the Lord, I have a new body, I'm not groaning, there's no burden, there's no death, 
There's no suffering. There's no crying. There's nobody being cheated by nobody. There's no sins. I'm just in the presence of the Lord. I don't have to work another day. I don't have to be in pain another day. I'm never going to die. How many know there is a place like that? And and, And even though meanwhile we're groaning, church, the number one thing to learn to walk in faith is quit thinking about this world. Go one more millisecond and let the thing you're walking toward not be the end of life. That's the death walk. Who wants to walk the death walk? It's like a person who's ready for execution and they're ready for their execution. I'm ready to be in the presence of the Lord. I'm ready to open my eyes and be in the presence of God. I'm ready to take on my new body. And you go, well, Chad, why do you want to give up that body? It's not as glamorous as it looks. You know, I'm not as glamorous as I look. How many know we can get so caught up in the groaning of this world and the burdens of this world that we forget? Now, if I'm thinking about how many times I got cheated in life, how many know that my walk is totally different? But if my vision is right and the Lord's right there and he's saying, hey, come on, come on, you can walk, you can forgive I'm like, well, why forgive? Because in a few moments, you're going to be the wealthiest man in the world, Chad. How many know the meek will inherit everything on the earth? Everything that Bill Gates has, I'll own all of it. How many know that? You can, you can store up your wealth in this world, but how many know the meek will inherit the earth, the righteous will inherit the kingdom will inherit not only the earth, but everything that God has created. He said he created the, all, the whole universe for the inheritors of righteousness. And all we have to do is receive it by faith. Hallelujah. So how many know if he's saying, come on, Chad, walk the walk of faith. He says, forgive everybody. I'm not forgiving everybody. I got, I got terrible things in life. I've been cheated here. I've been cheated. No, no, forgive them because you're almost with me. You don't have to worry about retirement. You don't have to worry about all these things. You just have to endure a little while longer. But how many know if all you're thinking about is this life and everything you have is in this life, you can't walk the walk of faith? Because you've been ripped off too many times. It's been too many unfair things. It's been too many things working against you. But when I say, God, I'll be glad when I open my eyes, I'm going to endure a little bit longer and I start walking. And I start forgiving and I start living the life that God's called me to live because I know I'm almost home. I almost have the new body. I almost have that new inheritance. How many know that that is a way to walk in faith is to visualize what's in front of you. But if we're only looking at the world like the world looks at the world, we'll never walk in faith. And so Paul, let's go back to Paul. Why does Paul say this? Because it doesn't make sense that Paul lives the life that Paul lives unless you know this. Paul is burdened. Paul's been through shipwrecks. He's been through beatings. He's been through insults. He's been through persecutions. He's been through all these things. Now, how does that make sense? Because Paul knows the weight of glory outweighs any, uh, he calls it a temporary light affliction. He says, I can go through anything because it may, this makes total sense now. That's why Paul does what he does. Because he knows he's almost home. And it's why you can live the life of faith because I'm almost home. How many know that? Hallelujah. This light affliction doesn't compare to the glory that's waiting for us 
in the presence of the Lord immediately the moment I close my eyes. Hallelujah. Amen. That makes me happy. I'm preaching myself so happy now. Hallelujah. The second thing that's important with vision is guidance is necessary, or with uh, walking. Guidance is necessary. How many of you remember my story and I got away from my guide? Well, how many of you know you and I do the same thing? We get away from the guidance that God has given us to get through this life. You say, well, how do I keep taking my eyes off God and start focusing on things like death and how bad this world is and all the burdens and all the groaning and all that? The way you do it is keep your eyes on God. Listen to this. Paul said, for we know... It says, go down to verse 5, it says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing us what is to come. Wow. So how do I walk? Number one, I stay focused on what, what I'm, where I'm headed, you know, which is in the presence of the Lord. Second thing is, I need a guide. And he says he's going to give me the Holy Spirit as a down payment to know what is coming. And so the more I get close to the Holy Spirit, the more the Holy Spirit's going to reveal the Lord and what is to come. And so listen to this, John 16, 13. This is the words of Jesus before his death. However, when he, the Holy, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come. How many have ever taught a baby how to walk? How many have ever done it silently? Like, don't tell him the rules of the game. Don't tell him the rules. Just sit him there and don't say anything. Just watch him fall on his face. Well, God doesn't do that. It's not as cruel as me. All right? Say, hey, come on, come on. You know, you might even hold something up they like, like a toy or something. Say, hey, come on over here. You want this toy, right? Let me know the Holy Spirit is in our ear. The Holy Spirit's there saying, come on, come on. Well, it's okay. Don't get down. Don't get burdened. See, all these things are going to be in your path. All these obstacles, all these things are going to knock you down. People are going to knock you down. Let me give you another one. Church people will knock you down. Your loved ones will knock you down. Friends will knock you down. Closest people to you will let you down. But the Holy Spirit won't. And the Holy Spirit will say, come on. Come on. Come on. Keep, keep walking. Keep walking. And then Jesus says again, John 14. But the Helper, 26, yes. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Wow. Church, we have a guide because we can't walk by sight. You say, well, what's the alternative? My mentality, my intellectualism, my seeing the ground and trying to make a way. You know, God's saying, no, just let the Holy Spirit lead you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. When he says forgive them, forgive them. When he says love them, love them. When he says do this, do that. Hallelujah. Let's follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 14. 
But God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words of man's wisdom teaching teaches, but with the Holy what the Holy Spirit teaches, pairing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So you say, well, how in the world do I walk in this world? The Holy Spirit is going to lead us home, church. We're not without a helper. Hallelujah. Then Jesus says this in John sixteen seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. You ever thought about that? Jesus dies at the young age of 33 and he says, it's your advantage that I'm going to go away. Why is it to my advantage that Jesus goes away from me? That's a hard question. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Hallelujah. Church, he's been sent. But here's the problem. How do you detect somebody who will say, well, how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? The Bible says if you believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, then the Holy Spirit will be given to you. Hallelujah. God will give you the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, man, I said a prayer a long time ago, and I never sensed the Holy Spirit. Did you understand what I said? He said, if he's the Lord of your life. That means I've submitted myself to God, and God, I want to follow you. I want to love you. I want to do what you ask me to do, Lord. And so here's how you can tell, because you can't put the Holy Spirit under a microscope. You can't examine it to see if it's there. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit's like a wind. How many have ever seen a storm come through your community? And you don't see the storm. You don't see the wind, right? But you see the effects of the wind, right? You see, you get up in the morning and you say, man, how did that roof get torn off the house? How did that uh, thing get moved over here? How did that get moved over there? And how many know the Bible says, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's like that. He's going to be working in your life and you're going to see the effects of the Holy Spirit. And that's how you know the Holy Spirit is there. You're going to actually give your life to the Lord to become the Lord of your life and you're going to accept him as your Lord and you're going to say, Lord, whatever you ask me to do and you're going to find the Holy Spirit say, hey, forgive that person. You're going to say, what? I'm not a forgiving person. But you're going to sense the Holy Spirit saying, forgive that person. You're going to sense the Holy Spirit is going to say, love that person. You're going to say the Holy Spirit says, have peace in this situation. You're going to sense the Holy Spirit's going to say, you don't want to talk like that anymore. I mean, you know, here's how you know whether the Holy Spirit's in your life. The Bible says that there are fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And it describes the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The word fruit means that if you have this in your life, this is what's going to develop. So how many know if you want to examine your life? In fact, the Bible asks us to examine our life. It says, 
Here's a, listen to the message version of 2 Corinthians 13.5. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not hearsay, that Jesus is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. I like that. Isn't that a good version of that verse? So how do you know if the Holy Spirit's working in your life? You'll begin to see love develop. You say, well, I've never done that. I've never cared about other people. I've only cared about myself. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, all of a sudden it's not about you anymore. You begin to love other people. You say, well, how am I going to get ahead if I'm loving other people? Trust me, it's better to give than to receive. Hallelujah. Joy. You say, joy, is that what happens whenever I'm happy and I get my way? No. Joy means you don't have to get your way, but there's a joy there that is unspeakable and you didn't even have to get your way, you didn't have to have a good day. Everything can be going wrong, but there's joy there. You go, why am I so happy when this is the worst day I've ever had? It's because the Holy Spirit is producing joy in there. The world gives you happiness, which means the happenstances have to be right. Circumstances have to be right. That's not the same as joy. Joy means I've got it deep in my heart. The Holy Spirit's put there and there's nothing in this day that can get rid of it. Hallelujah. Peace. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will give you peace that passes understanding. That means I don't understand it. It means everything's going wrong. Everything's in front of me. All the obstacles are there. But Paul says we still have peace that passes our understanding no matter what's in front of us. How many know the Holy Spirit's going to give you these things? He's going to give you kindness. Man, the older I get, the more I love kind people. That's the one that I love so much. When I see kind people, I just love kindness. Kindness is such a special fruit. Hallelujah. And you say, well, man, why am I, why am I so kind now? I didn't used to be that kind because the Holy Spirit's working in your life. That's the wind blowing through your, your heart and you want to be kind to everybody because he was kind to you first. Hallelujah. Amen. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You go, man, why am I overcoming these things in my life that I've struggled with my whole life? Because the Holy Spirit is beginning to give you the self-control that only comes through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. And then the third thing that's really important. Hallelujah. Expectation. Expectation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Therefore we're confident. We know as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him whether we're at home in the body or away from it. But we must all appear... Before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things that we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Hebrews 11.6 puts it this way, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let me take you back to that vision again. If God's saying, come on. Come on, one millisecond after you die, you're in my presence and you're, you get an inheritance, you get a crown on your head, you get to come to heaven, no more pain, no more working, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more burdens. If you know that that's where you're going and you know that God rewards those who seek him, 
You have to have expectation. That's what I say. Sometimes you reward a kid. Sometimes you say, man, if you'll walk over here, I'll give you a reward. How many have ever done that? Don't feel guilty. That's, that's some of the best way to get a kid to do something great. And how many know that you have to have expectation when you walk in the Lord? We're going to be rewarded. The moment that I close my eyes, I've got a massive reward for everything I do in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. How many know expectation is very important? Paul's still trying to explain to the Corinthians, here's why I do what I do. Paul is all of a sudden sounding pretty logical, isn't he? I mean, it's pretty smart of Paul to live his life for Christ and not for himself because he's going to have a great reward. He's going to have an inheritance. He's going to be in the presence of the Lord. And how many know expectation is very important? In fact, Abraham is one of the great examples of faith in the Bible. I mean, he went wherever God told him to go. He went to a strange place. He he went and, and did all these things in obedience to the Lord. And God only gave him seven promises. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Seven promises he gave him in Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham set off, left everybody behind, and in faith followed the Lord for the rest of his life. Hallelujah. And you say, well, man, what's God going to do? Is he going to make me rich? Is he going to give me an inheritance? Is he going to make me great? Is all my family going to be saved because of him? Yes, 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 and yes. When I go in the presence of the Lord, how many know every sickness will be gone? How many know God's inheritance will be ours? How many know all those things that he promised Abraham? If you just go one millisecond after our death, when we shed this body and we get our new body, all those promises are ours, church. And so Paul's making a pretty good argument here on why we should walk in faith. God's saying, come here. The Holy Spirit's saying, keep moving, keep going forward. He's promising all these great things for the child of God. And you say, well, doesn't everybody get that? Don't all dogs go to heaven, as they say? No, he's only promising for those who walk in faith. You say, well, man, why doesn't everybody get it? Because God has promised it to those who walk in faith. So church, he's asking us to walk in faith. Hallelujah. And number four and final thing. Hallelujah. Walking in faith must be a reality. He says in Matthew 17, 20, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now it's time to put this into practice. It all sounds great when we're up here preaching. Walking in faith, taking a hold of the promises, you know, keeping your eyes on God, the Holy Spirit in your ear saying, keep moving forward until we hit the obstacle. Now, why does God choose a mountain? Well, if it were a car, I may not be able to lift it, but it's possible for me to put men all around that car and lift it and move it. If it were a house, I've seen people move houses. I've seen them jack houses up. I've seen them put them on the back of flatbeds and move them, right? But a mountain, <laughs> mountain, how many have ever had something in your life that feels like a mountain? And see, and this is where faith is tested. 
This is where we've got to really trust God because a mountain is not able to be moved by a man. Only God can move mountains. And so that's why he uses a mountain. Who created the mountain to begin with? I mean, no, one natural disaster, God can create a mountain. <laughs> and so, so church, this is where Paul is trying to explain to them to walk the walk of faith. Paul said, I've been through everything. I've been through shipwrecks. I've been through beatings. I've been through persecution. I've been through insults. And guess what? You're going to go through a lot of things in your life on your way to heaven. And you're going to, sure enough, as I'm standing here and preaching to you today, you're going to run into a mountain. And you're going to take that scripture and you're going to say, mountain, be moved. And guess what? Sometimes it'll move. Sometimes God will do a miracle and that mountain will be gone and you'll say, praise God. That's an amazing... How many have ever seen mountains that were immovable move? And then there are times you'll stand on that mountain and God will say, you ready? And I'll say, why, God? And he'll say, because I'm going to teach the mountain climb. Mm. How many have ever climbed up a small hill? How many have ever had a gym teacher say, hey, run up that hill? Or how many have ever had a treadmill and it says, okay, put it on 10 on the incline? I'm trying to get you a picture here. It gets a little hard, you know, the legs start hurting, your legs get heavy. How many have ever been through things in your faith walk? It's like, God, why didn't you move this thing? And you're walking up that mountain and you're like, man, this is hard work and Man, this was laborsome. But you just keep trusting God and finally you get to the top and you're like, wow. Have you ever been on top of a mountain? Ryan, you've been on top of some mountains, haven't you? I know you have. Have you ever been up there? Wow. And you just think to yourself, this is amazing. And there are times God won't remove the mountain, but he'll climb it with you. And the Holy Spirit will say, one more step. One more step, <laughs> one more step, and you'll say, I got to stop. Okay, stop for a second. One more step. Then there's a thing in the Bible called dunamis, where we get our word dynamite, the power of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes God will put the dunamis in there and it'll. Poof. I mean, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit will sometimes. You know, there have been roads made out of dynamite through mountains. There's sometimes God will explode it one rock at a time and you'll walk through. And then every time you go through that mountain, you'll say, hey, we carved a path right through that mountain, didn't we, Lord? Sometimes God will say, hey, let's just bypass it. And he'll lead you around it. Right? Let me know that you learn a lot of things about your faith by how you deal with the mountain. But here's what walking by sight will do. Walking by sight will look at the mountain and it will not realize there's a way. It'll look at the mountain of addiction and it'll say it's too big. It's too high. It's too much to go around. It's too much to go through. Right? And sight, walking by sight like we do in life, it'll make you give up. 
It'll make you say, I don't want to live. It'll make you say, it's too much. It'll make you say, life's too hard. Or I've been mistreated too badly. Or how many have ever been in these places? We've all been there, haven't we? Let's just be honest. We've all felt like it was too hard. We couldn't make it. That's walking by sight. Or walking by sight will say, it's not really a problem. It'll kind of ignore it. The mountain's not going away. It's what we call the elephant in the room, right? You're going to have to deal with the mountain, right? And some of us just keep going around it and or keep looking at it and saying it's not there or we keep making excuses. And how many know God is a God that is there to help us cross the mountains, help us go through the mountains, help us move the mountain? God has a solution for the mountain, But what we do is we have schemes, we have plans, we have plots. We think, man, I'm going to do it this way, I'm going to do it that way. How many have ever failed trying to cross a mountain? (laughs) Many, many times. And God will put you there. Because only God can move mountains. Only God can deal with the mountain. And so God will put it there. And so what God is saying for us to do is, He's saying, hey, let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Let Him lead you. Let Him teach you how to pray, cry out to God. And then God will open up his word and he'll give you a promise. And there's a promise for every mountain in there. And God will say, here's how we're going to deal with the mountain. And he'll lead you through that mountain. Hallelujah. That's the walk of faith. And so church, I can't promise you it will be smooth. But I'll promise you he will lead you home. But we've got to walk the walk of faith. If we don't walk the walk of faith and we do it by sight, we will be destroyed. We've got one way home, and that's through the Lord. Hallelujah. Ryan, come on up. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray you would minister to every person that's in here today, Lord. And uh, Lord, anybody in the sound of my voice who's struggling with life, Lord God, I just pray that you would be their ever-present help, Lord. That's why you came to this world, to not leave us alone, but to give us hope, Lord God. Hope in you, hope in what's to come. Lord, if we have you and we have you in eternity, Lord God, our best days are always ahead of us. They're always ahead of us, not behind us, Lord. So today I pray that that hope would be given to every person in here. In your name I pray. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet this morning. Your eyes closed. I just want you to, for a moment, we're a family here. Hallelujah. Let's not look around. If you've never given your life to the Lord, you don't have that help. But God wants to be your help. He wants to be your ever-present help through all of your troubles. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God helps us out of them all. Hallelujah. And some of you today have never trusted in Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. And this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. But you have to respond. You have to reach out and reach out to God. Everybody here at some point who's given their life to the Lord had to step forward and reach out. If you've never given your heart to the Lord and you want to this morning, that's you and God's drawing you to Him. I just want to see that hand this morning. That's all you have to do this morning. We'll pray prayer to just respond i see that hand anybody else i see that hand hallelujah 
Praise God. Anybody else this morning? You need to see that hand. You can put them down now. Hallelujah. Praise God. How many know the Lord is good this morning? Hallelujah. And this morning I'm going to lead in a prayer. That prayer is just going to be saying, God, I trust you. And I'm going to walk with you through life. I'm going to trust you no matter what. I remember when I gave my heart to the Lord, all I said was, nobody was there. I said, Lord, I'm going to grab your hand and I'm never going to let go. I'm going to hold on no matter what I go through, no matter who leaves me. No matter what happens, I'm not going to let go. Hallelujah. Let's pray that prayer together, all of us this morning. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. And I ask you to forgive me. Everybody say it with me. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I trust in you to wash my sins away. Lord, I pray right now that you give me your Holy Spirit to walk with me through my entire life until I'm with you. I thank you for this, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer this morning, how many know that your sins are washed away? God has forgiven you this morning, and he's going to pour his Holy Spirit into your life. Now you say, what is the next step? The next step is to talk to your pastor. We want to baptize you. Hallelujah. That's the next obedient step. I made the Lord the Lord of my life, and it's kind of like a marriage. I want to publicly tell people that I've done this now. And I want to follow him all the days of my life. I want him to be the Lord of my life. Hallelujah. And I'm not going to let go because I trust him with my life. Hallelujah. How many give, give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, church, if you would, we're going to worship the Lord together this morning. Hallelujah. Two people gave their heart to the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Let's worship the Lord this morning and thank Him. And then we'll close in a word of prayer. Hallelujah. such a good God. Church, we want to walk together through all these steps of following the Lord. I mean, though the, the, the life is hard to walk through alone. We want to be here for each other. Hallelujah. Every step of the way. Uh, I just want to remind everybody tonight, uh, there'll be lots of uh, free pizza tonight. That's uh, beautiful words, isn't it? So come tonight, uh, Brother Jeremiah is going to walk us through just learning how to forgive people and ourselves and just uh, starting that road to uh, real healing. Hallelujah. So if you can be here tonight, be here tonight. Hallelujah. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for your house, Lord, for the feeling we feel when we're in here, the love, Lord, that just is poured out upon us in here, Lord amongst us, Lord, and I just pray that you would bless your people, bless everybody that's in here, Lord God, and uh, help them, strengthen them, Lord, in their lives, and uh, be an ever-present help for them, Lord God. 
In uh, your name we pray, Lord Jesus, everybody said, amen. Bless you all. Hallelujah.